All right. I think we're live. All right. Well, another episode of Monero Talk. I feel, uh, feel like this is really the Chris DeRose show, though. Is, <laughs> no matter where you go, is it the Chris DeRose show? Are you broadcasting on your side as well? Nope. This is your exclusive today. Oh, wow. Very privileged. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we're just a couple of guys that love Monero. And uh, our, our general mission for the show is to just kind of be the source for all things Monero, get start getting the word out. Um, as I think you're aware, you know, Monero being the decentralized beast it is, it's not necessarily the best at uh, publicizing itself. Um, so we're, we're trying to become that, that branch of the Monero world. And uh, we're reaching out to you because uh, recently, if I, we feel like, or I don't know, maybe you've been talking about it forever, but I've been hearing more Monero coming out of out of your mouth and the things you say. And I, uh, I find that very curious because I kind of see you as on the forefront of uh, one of the, the kind of the canary in the coal mine, if you will, uh, in the crypto world. You always seem to be on the forefront of where things are headed. So I see that as a good sign that you're talking more and more about Monero. Well, thanks. I appreciate hearing that. I'm not always on top, but uh, I try to be. So yeah, I mean, I f uh, I'd love to talk to you about. I guess you're. I've I've been watching you for quite some time. Um, you've been around before I got into the community, but uh, I watched some of your older. I see your videos go go way back. I got in around uh, late 2013, early 2014, um, and I, I guess I've been w watching you ever since then. Uh, but I didn't realize how far back you went. So what uh had. What's the quick, uh, quick and dirty on how you got into Bitcoin, I guess? Quick and dirty was I saw a Slashdot post in 2011. I found it intriguing. I didn't know what the hell this was for. Fast forward about six months or so, I want to say, uh, maybe a little bit more. And the first Darknet market started showing up. And then I was realizing, well, wait a minute, I understand this now. This is for every time you can't use a credit card. And, uh, that's not the only use for this for this thing, but that was certainly where I got the uh, the bug, and uh, I I kind of explored Silk Road in the early days, and uh, from there I just started watching the movement fly ever since. And so, I mean, do you were you did you ever consider your big uh, yourself a Bitcoin maximalist? Do you still consider yourself a maximalist? Uh, do you not believe in the term maximalist? Yeah. Know, so, uh, so actually, the the, the term was coined because myself and my partner at the time were uh, talking to Vitalik in the counterparty channel and uh, he grew frustrated with us and then wrote an article about us where he coined the term Bitcoin maximalist. So I think that I, I can very accurately lay claim to being, uh, if not the first Bitcoin maximalist, tied for the first Bitcoin maximalist position. And you know, at some level, I still may be a Bitcoin maximalist. I, I don't know. I'm realizing that these banners fly and then people will join it as there's virtue in it. And at that point, if you don't police the banner, the meaning gets lost as people start to pervert the meaning for any given intent that they want. And we see this in movements, everything from, I mean, you know, political stuff like, like Black Lives Matter and maybe feminism, et cetera, as well as things here in the blockchain space, such as blockchain, which was something that had a very specific meaning at one point. And then as that meaning became a virtue, thousands of prospectors and speculators and scammers and everything in between started to pervert the meaning of blockchain into everything. So I think Bitcoin maximalism probably took a very similar trajectory 
uh, to either my own uh, fault or otherwise. And so where do you see the state of Bitcoin maximalism? I mean, I'm seeing, I know it's it's been around for quite some time. I, I kind of almost feel like it's hitting a fever pitch now. I mean, I know there's more alts than ever. I know uh, the market share of, of Bitcoin versus alts has been higher at times in the past because there was less competition. But I feel like Bitcoin, the, the movement of Bitcoin maximalism itself is kind of hitting a fever pitch. Like with Safi Din's book, um, it feels like it's, peak maximalism but i don't yeah. know what are your what are your what's your take on that so the bitcoin maximalist brand as best i can tell has been one where bitcoin is a rock it is the rock that i guess has atomic number 79 in this very like postmodern sense that means these ones and zeros are gold and it seems that the bitcoin maximalists have we, I mean, to back it up even a little bit, we, we create these simulations in the space. So the simulation that was Bitcoin in its earliest incarnation was that of uh, Occupy Wall Street, Tea Party movement, gold bugs. The pursuit of the first mover advantage then became what we have now, which is this sort of uh, fetishization of gold. And so you see that like the Bitcoin standard is a book that was written, I guess, under the pretense that Bitcoin was of a heritage wherein the nobility decorated their heads with it and uh, ships laden with Bitcoin were uh, crossing the American seas and providing uh, liquidity to markets in the new land. I, I don't really know. But in, in the terms of the simulation as it was presented, people entered it with their comprehension that came from a gold bug or libertarian bent and then started interacting with Bitcoin under exactly that same sort of morality system. And now... We have this strange form of orthodoxy wherein, I guess, the optimal action you can take is to do nothing, is to not spend Bitcoin and to admonish anybody who does, which I don't know is entirely productive and which I think is kind of absurd even. And perhaps I don't know if postmodernism is becoming a um, red flag. I, I would be concerned that that image would not hold up well over time. So we can get into some of that if you'd like, but that, that seems to be the state of maximalism now is this weird kind of like gold bug meets communism thing almost. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, the safe, are you reading the book? I, I have the book and it's signed by safe and Dean and he did so just before he blocked me on Twitter. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I just started reading it and like the opening, the prologue or the intro, I forget who it was that wrote it, but, uh, it basically kind of did the point that the uh, the person writing that the pro was that uh, you know Bitcoin is kind of the the solution to a potential dystopia in in terms of where things are headed, uh, which I find ironic because I see Bitcoin as potentially being the you know the worst possible dystopia if things go wrong right if 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 it's if bitcoin becomes the chain that wins and we have this you know transparent blockchain where all transactions in the world are basically uh public and accessible uh by the powers that be isn't that a potentially dystopian uh, sort of i mean if that here's the thing that monero people have to consider is that any one blockchain needs to succeed in order for the right blockchain to work and at least in my assessment meaning if we can get the on-ramps into crypto from fiat under any terms possible then 
we should be able to uh, transpose and um, route those funds in any way we want to thereafter. And I'm pretty sure that we'll see that. So in my mind, I'm actually okay with a lot of this. Um, I even think that it is advantageous for us to have something like Bitcoin be the virtuous blockchain, the one that it does no wrong. It only cures what ails you and it is magical and there's there's no way you can lose when you go with blockchain. If we If we actually achieve that, then we will see significant uh, developments in the regulatory sense for blockchain and for um, the on-ramps into crypto. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think that makes total sense. Um, But if you were to ask safe, you know, if you were to pull Saifedean aside and have that convert, would he see it that way? Because, I mean, that I I feel like makes sense. But I feel they, they publicly, the argument is, Bitcoin is the chain that will rule them all. And it's, you know, it's censorship resistant uh, money, you know, or censorship. It's, it's, but I don't, how is it censorship resistant if it's a, you know, transparent blockchain and all these, other, it's not the most, you know, not heading in it towards being a purely decentralized. So do you think he truly, a lot of these maximalists truly believe uh, what they're saying? When they're saying that uh, you know, kind of Bitcoin uh, is is living up to the true invention of blockchain, which is censorship resistance, or do you feel like they're actually thinking along the lines of what you're thinking, which is let's let people have their Bitcoin while we work on the truer version of crypto? Right. So as communities head towards orthodoxy, they engage in uh, willful ignorance to increasing degrees. And I'm seeing that happen in, in the Bitcoin maximalist community. So what I would expect is that as soon as Safe and Dean hit an argument that he could not refute, he would just block the person saying it, and that would resolve the contention. And we see that. It used to be that Bitcoiners did not block very much and that a lot of the incumbent finance people would block. And now it seems like as the Bitcoiners are entrenching into more and more conservative orthodoxy, that they're just blocking anything that doesn't resonate with their worldview. And this sort of politics of inevitability is uh, at the heart of that, I would say, which uh, I guess making a longer story short is effectively uh, a belief that success is inevitable. And if you disagree, then you are not of the success. And we've seen that in things uh, that have gone terribly wrong, unfortunately. It doesn't mean that Bitcoin will, and I certainly hope that it wouldn't. But like, think of the Titanic. If you didn't believe that the Titanic was uh, destined for greatness, you were blocked. And that was the interface. And I think, you know, when a leader is doing his job, their goal is to balance science with meaning. And uh, I don't see that happening right now in Bitcoin, unfortunately. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I don't want Bitcoin to fail, to be clear. But I think that the maximalist position is going to just uh, be increasingly mocked. And we see that. I mean, even with Bizanacci now, who is depicting the Bitcoiner as the caveman. That that is the image of the Bitcoiner now, uh, so it's sad. Yeah, even uh, like Cody Wilson, uh, I always saw him as kind of a true uh, crypto anarchist, right? And uh, he, I, I haven't seen him coming out talking about Monero or talking about how Bitcoin is going down the wrong path. Uh, if anything, I saw him, I think, talking about Bcash and how he's accepting Bcash donations for his. Uh, potential legal issues. Uh, but why not Monero? 
Like, I feel like, I mean, if, if, if I, if I'm going to donate to Cody Wilson, wouldn't I rather protect myself and use Monero? Wouldn't he, shouldn't he be the first person to realize that that's its use case? Right. So Cody is a activist and Bitcoin was a tool to achieve his activism. That's always been the case for him. And he hasn't been a Bitcoiner first. He's been an activist first. And that is admirable. That is, that is just great. Now, he's been out of the scene a little bit. He's come back. He is pursuing a new, uh, well, not really new, just he's pursuing fundraising on his more or less eternal dream of 3D printed guns. And what he's finding, we're in this space every day, so we know this, but what he's finding is that there is effectively a group of communists or communist sympathy, sympathists that are behind the helm of uh, crypto Twitter and uh, perhaps the Bitcoin maximalist position. And if you don't only hodl Bitcoin, then you are evil. Um, whether or not that's communism or not, I guess is up to debate, but it, it just strikes me as like very, very close to that uh, sort of mentality. So I'm guessing that Cody's probably heard at some level that there have been, there's strife in the Bitcoin community and is now experiencing it firsthand. And it wouldn't surprise me if he either ends up uh, in the Monero camp or uh, in the Bitcoin Cash camp. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to promote Bitcoin Cash even on this show, um, but it, it's, you know, it's a part of the, of the system right now in the sense that uh, they have a lot of marketing and they're, they're attracting people who have been uh, smitten by uh, the, the core Bitcoiners. So that's probably the path he's on currently. And we, we can talk about why Monero, I think, is, is uh, advantageous over all these other things as a both a technology, but also as a community building tool if that's useful. Kunzik, you want to make a, a, a Bcash comment? I know you're always, uh, no, I mean, I'm not, I'm it always not gets the blood pressure going. No, yeah, I'm not a fan of uh, Bitcoin Cash, <laughs> but uh, it's, it mostly stems from Roger Ver. I just, it's hard to uh, listen to him sometimes. But, you know, Doug and I have seen this, this Bitcoin maximalist approach where, I, I mean, I, he was the original Bitcoin maximalist in my social circle. And then I watched him more from that into a Monero maximalist. And I'm still, I'm a 50-50 kind of guy because I'm just playing both bets. I mean, I think they're perfect hedges against each other. One has an obscene network advantage and the other has solid dev, just like Bitcoin, with a smaller community and can move faster. But, uh, you know, it's funny when we, we talk about things with Bitcoin maximalists like fungibility. And as soon as you broach it, well, fungibility is not a big deal, but we might have it in lightning. It's important that you know that, you know, like it's mm -hmm. they, they try to have both worlds. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not the case. So it, it's interesting, though, to hear your your point on Monero. Would you say you're moving into the direction of Monero maximalism or are you just open to all cryptos? Is I think we should all be following crypto politics in the sort of Wikipedian sense. And you can go look it up. But if you declare your position, like you just told me how Roger Veer is somebody who you don't like. So that's fine. That's probably reasonable. But what happens is if you declare an allegiance, then an entire mass of people will get alienated right, from right. your position. So I could tell you that I have an allegiance to Monero or Bitcoin Core or Bitcoin Cash. But all that that will achieve is the division of uh, demographics. So I'd, I'd rather promote that everybody um, perhaps have a concept of crypto politics, of not, of not disclosing one's primary affiliation for the purpose of promoting one's primary affiliation. And so then the question is, well, is, is he just a politician that's a you know, snide asshole or is he looking out for me? And, and that's a good question for everybody to have. Um, all I can say is judge us by our outcomes and not our beliefs, because there's a lot of times when I throw out crazy beliefs because I, I believe that that belief 
will engineer an outcome that is favorable. So in your estimation, that's probably the way to understand anyone's position. Right. Let, let me rephrase it then. I'll, I'll, I would say, what characteristics of a cryptocurrency do you think are most important? And then which other characteristics do you see as less important? Are, is fungibility a major thing for you or is decentralization paramount? Stuff like that. Right. Okay. So there's uh, there's a few components to it. Community sacrifice is probably towards the top of the list, if not the top of the list. And it seems right. to me, yeah, it seems to me that sacrifice creates sanctity. So if you are working 40 hours a week, you know, you're, you, could, you could spend that time with your kids or on the beach. Instead, you are sacrificing your happiness for a unit of account that is the dollar, let's say. Um, that makes that dollar holy to you. And perhaps maybe you're a multi-generational American and you're, you have a grandfather that was a war vet or something. He died for the country. That makes that identity sacred to you. So I look online and I say to myself, okay, well, where is where is the sacrifice happening in the market? And uh, that would generally re require looking at the online markets and looking at the job lists. And when I look at that, I see that people are sacrificing for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Monero. And by that measure, I think Monero is fairly undervalued because um, given the prominence of Bitcoin and Ethereum, it seems to be that Monero's lagged far behind. Um, so that, that would be the first and foremost thing I would probably look at. Um, that being said, I don't like to actually pump Monero. The, the price is accurate in the sense that there's additional uh, liquidity issues and risk on the product. But, but for me, at least, that was that was what made Bitcoin a success off the bat. From there, then we can say, okay, well, what are people sacrificing for? And I think fungibility is probably the reason why people are sacrificing almost entirely throughout the space, to be clear. And it's not it's not even nefarious. I mean, like sometimes you have all these like very like reasonable reasons to to have money at um, a degree of asymmetry from the people around you. If you're running a business, you don't want your customers knowing your markup. You don't want your competitors knowing your markup. Salaries, stuff. Right, right, exactly. It, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of hilarious and absurd to me that all these people came into the blockchain space for some period, telling us how they want to share their accounting with their competitors. And I was just like, that this is crazy. There was even banks saying that kind of stuff. It, it was just it was, it was actually quite funny. It shows the degree that people don't really understand what the hell they're doing. Um. <laughs> So yeah, so I think fungibility is a big part of it. And uh, community sacrifice. Oh, and then here's the other one. Okay, so on, on the, there's, there's this sort of like elephant in the room right now in Bitcoin that is real. It's very hard to talk about with Bitcoiners, but I don't think that ASICs are very decentralized. And the reasons why are fairly obvious. I think that uh, the economy of scale in ASIC manufacturing has created an environment where permits are effectively required in order to make an ASIC, meaning either you have to have a permit to create an ASIC or you have to know somebody with a permit to make an ASIC in order to mine. And what has happened now is I think the Bitcoin mining algorithm is increasingly trending towards a multi-SIG that is principally comprised of a very small number of actors who are paying the most amount of money and who also have uh, close social distance to uh, governments. And... Um, for those that are unclear, the, the permitting process is, you know, part of running a silicon uh, fabrication plant. So you, you know, you have to have a huge amount of fixed costs up front, which means you have to have government. So you can't like you can't like just make it out of like ordinary goods. You you have an inordinate amount of effort that needs to get done in order to start manufacturing ASICs. And uh, the only way you can do that is with permitting. Now, meanwhile, you look at Monero, and uh, there's two things happening there. Number one, the CPU mining 
means that if there was an issue at any point in almost any even suburban area, I could run to a store and clandestinely man start manufacturing Monero. I can buy CPUs up and I can do it surreptitiously and it won't cause a lot of red flags. I don't even know, need to know anybody uh, in order to get those CPUs and I can start mining Monero. So like that's a very is it, good... Is it Bitman even uh, Bitmain? Isn't there some KYC element that's came about? Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. the, the social distance required for mining is, is getting, uh, and, and government is getting closer and closer in the Bitcoin circles. And you can't really talk about it. It's very embarrassing. Uh, though I have to say, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not actually bad. It's just not decentralized. So like, it, it may just be that Bitcoin is, is Fedcoin. And I'm okay with that. That'd be, that would be ideal for Monero, quite frankly. Um, so, get, yeah. I just want to, and I love that we have you on because when I listen to your shows, I, I just so many times where I just wish I could just ask you questions, ask you sure. questions about what you said because you say a lot of complex things. I, so the, the, what was it? The community sacrifice. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I mean, is that a new thought you've had? Because that, I mean, that seems to, I don't think anybody would ever phrase it that way. Um, it, you know, I, I, I certainly haven't thought about it in those terms. I mean, I know money is about faith, so I guess you could say that, right? So whichever whichever money has the most people that have faith in it, is that what you mean? Because because like if you look at Safedine's book, uh, he's just about like technically Bitcoin is digital gold. If you break it down, it's you know it it meets all the characteristics. Gold gold became gold because it has those properties that nothing else has on the earth that allowed it to become gold. Bitcoin is going to become digital gold because it also has all those properties. Plus, you could zap it around the world instantly. Well, it um, also has the properties of digital lead or digital salt or, or any of these things. It seems to me to be very convenient just to pick, go straight to the top, we're gold, <laughs> when really all it might have in common is scarcity, which is not a small thing, but to be clear, like it's actually pretty amazing. But like it, it's a little bit to me, a little bit extreme to say that that means that it is uh, functionally identical to gold. But yeah, I mean, so sacrifice is something that I, I've been talking about for a little while now. Because like, um, Doge, like Dogecoin, right? I mean, I don't know what the community is like these days, but I, I used to uh, be a part of it back in the day. And they were all about sacrifice, right? I mean, those guys, I mean, were really passionate, uh, constantly, you know, sending, spreading out the memes and quite a few of them on there so where would you put did, did they fit the uh definition of a community that was sacrificing or probably i think labor is really where it's principally found and you know like like i mean so this is a little bit extreme but i was in thailand last year uh i, I visited mongoose in the bangkok central uh, remand and mongoose is the guy i guess in silk road who commissioned the killing of the of the undercover agent and uh he was deported uh recently now he's in the united states facing trial and uh who knows he'll probably go to jail for the rest of his life but i was visiting him you know and and like in his mind and i, I don't want to speak with an attestation but like it seemed to me that this was em emblematic of his state he was doing his time for uh the reward that would come out of it later which would be the appreciation of value that was his bitcoin and like it seemed to me that that was a degree of sacrifice there. Now, that in and of itself doesn't make Bitcoin more valuable. But you see these people who are really willing to promote Bitcoin with others under this belief. So, like, I would think that if Mongoose was 
in jail. He's not going to promote Dash. He's not going to promote, he's going to promote Bitcoin because that's where he did most of his holdings, that's where he did his sacrifice, et cetera. And I think what you try to do is look for like the sum aggregate of sacrifice in terms of sweat equity in a community. Um, and, and it's hard to quantify because like then how do you handle something like EOS where like the sweat equity is very minimal, but you have these like very, these whales who are very connected in Silicon Valley, maybe who are putting a lot of US dollars into it. Is that sacrifice or not? You know, I don't, I don't exactly know. Um, or Zcash but, even. Where yeah. words go to the dev teams, it's a minor sacrifice versus self-committed uh, time and effort. Yeah, I, I think that if you look at like historical examples, like so let's say in America, you had like the Native Americans who I think what blue seashells or something like that were like their currency. I think in, in what might would happen, what should happen in these communities is that as they started transacting, it just became a foregone conclusion that the blue seashells would become accepted. And then if somebody came by with a green seashell, you'd be like, well, I, you know, I already put all this time into my blue seashells and this guy uh, over there, you know, is really into the blue seashells. I, it would seem to me that you, if you sacrifice the time, you'd be less inclined to just throw it out the window and more inclined to keep that, that advantage, that inertia advantage. It's a working theory. I could be, I could be dead wrong, but it does, it does, it, that, that's kind of what I saw with Bitcoin. And I would think that that would help us here as well. Could be wrong. We'll find out. Okay. Yeah, no, I definitely see it as an indicator of a of a healthy community. But I don't know if it's that that is what leads to the one that takes the lead. I think it's more of a pro it's it's a, a symptom more so than a, a cause. Well, I think liquidity probably drives the lead right now, and that may always even be the case. And like the flippening probably taught us that. But I but I don't know that liquidity alone is the best metric and you know like there's this hard moment i had during uh the the ramp up to what could have been the flippening where it was obvious to me that a lot of the noobs were coming in and rather than pursuing the rock meme they were pursuing the smart contract meme and the liquidity in the belief in smart contracts were was exceeding the liquidity of the belief in digital rocks and so I, th I think that the liquidity component is a good short-term indicator. So if you're looking at perhaps at the market and you're going to say, okay, which meme is going to incur the most speculation currently, that would be the way to do it. But over the long term, I think the sacrifice will be a better indicator. So I, th I think that's the dynamic there. I don't really know. Do you think monero is i know you kind of touched on this already but is it the most censure currently the most censorship resistant form of cryptocurrency we have is it more censorship resistant than bitcoin at this point in time yeah i think so for the simple reason that when you come into monero you're not buying a rock you're buying leadership and so that means that we have something of a throttle on the community like so we we Monero has a hard fork guarantee, effectively, uh, that says you're going with the Monero team. You're not going necessarily with hash power. And while I understand the arguments um, against that, I think that that is a very powerful argument currently uh, for mitigating threats. Now, that, that being said, I also think that you know, the, the fungibility aspects as well uh, make for a significant censorship-resistant case. Some would argue that you have to deal with nation-states um, censoring your blockchain. But I don't think that that risk is around anymore. I think that that was an early risk. And I think those days are, are gone. And I'm shocked by that. 
frankly, I didn't think that would happen, but it did happen. So I have to concede that I think that's where we're at now. And even if nation states were the ultimate concern, I don't see how Bitcoin is more censorship resistant, given what things you're saying, like with ASICs, right? I mean, if it's one, if it's one or two guys that are producing ASICs, isn't that easier to kind of round up and control versus, you know, all the computer, you know, computing chips, graphic cards, things like that? There's a lot of bullshit going on in yeah. Bitcoin right now. I wouldn't even go there. I mean, like, who owns BitcoinCore.org? Who owns the, the GitHub repo for Bitcoin? What would happen if that person were subpoenaed? What would happen to the Bitcoin community? Would we have two Bitcoins at that point? Would Roger Veer be the official Bitcoin at that point? There's a lot of hypocrisy there. And uh, you're not allowed to talk about those things on Twitter. And it's very frustrating because I, uh, this yeah, I sort of... got a lot of flack today on, on that kind of post yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to get people marching a little bit more because it's just it's so frustrating right now that like i mean decentralized regulations exist there it's very real and right now the decentralized regulations are such that you can't expose any degree of constructive criticism on the bitcoin community and i find it very unhealthy um very unhealthy and, and, and it's doing things that are just counterproductive like okay so like this this sort of hate for roger veer is so maligned right now because in my mind Everybody, it's so stupid. Everybody believes that Bitcoin Core is Bitcoin. There, I, you, we can have a discussion of how or way, why it may not be, but all of the exchanges will use that software to create the UTXO. I don't believe that that makes Bitcoin centralized. I think it's just another open source project that is, you know, fairly decentralized. Uh, but you're not allowed to say that online. And uh, so because of that, the entirety of the Bitcoin Cash equation has been leveraging that power vacuum. So that means that anybody can go on right now and tell CNBC that they are in charge of Bitcoin. And even though we've all elected an official binary, it seems that this sort of pursuit of the rock means we can't elect a representative, even though we all know we have representatives, if not like one or two representatives. It, the whole thing is just very convoluted. And I think that that's what's holding a lot of people back right now uh, in the space. So when you say don't poke the honey badger, you're you're being sarcastic. We should poke it. Uh, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a skill. It's an art. I'm not excellent at it. But like <laughs> a big thing. So like here. So you gotta you gotta get your timing right. So like um, you, in, in general, like especially you guys are making content. And you know, I don't know to the degree you want to do the kind of journalism that I do. But I, I look at how all the dominoes are lined up, and you'll see in society and in this space. Everybody, everything starts to line up in a certain way. And then every once in a while, a power vacuum opens and somebody's going to tip the first domino and then they'll all sort of hit a crescendo. So I saw that happen in the Bitcoin core space here, what, a month ago, maybe two, when Cobra decided to take ads from Paxful or perhaps broached the question. And the response was uh, kind of hilarious to me because I, I thought that it was a fairly rote request. And rather than discuss it, the interface was outrage, shame, and uh, I, I really just neuroticism. And rather than work on a compromise or discuss uh, rules for compensation or what the, it, instead it was, let's fire bitcoincore.org, uh, Cobra and then the owner of bitcoincore.org. So what that does now is that alienates what was previously the, pri the primary information source in the space from the Bitcoin core community. Now that person is incentivized to work against core or at the very least is, you know, rudderless and unable to defend core. And they started BT, what, what now has become btcinformation.org. Um, now, meanwhile, all of the Google links point to bitcoin.com and bitcoin.org. 
Um, and and so like rather than any degree of compromise or anything, the the culture is such that you just fire and ignore and block um, what could have what could have just been a rote like partnership between a, a great liquidity provider and a great website. So with that, I then decided, okay, this is the right time to bring up this issue. Um, I went ahead and submitted a very mild request to the Bitcoin Core repo. Uh, I'm sorry, BitcoinCore.org repo. And uh, I suggested a mission statement, which we can we can get into. But it, really what I would have liked to have done was just be to spruce up that web page and make it a primary information page, which I would have been happy to do. Um, I knew that it would get rejected, um, and it did. And I knew that the, the reason for rejection would be hilarious, and it was. And so now I have permission to talk about the issue because I have tried to make a difference. I went through the appropriate channels and uh, reason did not prevail. So in that way, I promote the honey badger, but I did it with the degree of reverence that I think is required in the community. And, uh, and well, that's, that's kind of how we got to where we are now. Yeah, that is a shame. What, what was the reason that they gave you for rejecting it? Well, so I have a stigma, which I cultivate and which I, I actually even strive for. And uh, that, that's his own conversation. So nonetheless, the core team knows me as the stigmatized and announces that, so I, I submitted the PR, I followed pretty much all the rules, and I only, only submitted like a, a mission statement. The mission statement that I, that I submitted was almost directly copied from uh, the Linux Foundation's mission statement. And uh, I used the framework of uh, a protocol, and this is Bitcoin Core is developing the Bitcoin protocol. It was like some very rote. In any case, uh, the PR was submitted, and um, one of the maintainers, the same one that rejected Cobra, frankly, um, said that the people need to be aware of this intruder. Uh, I'm roughly paraphrasing. Of this person, he is a known member of uh, the media or, or something like that. Um, and then over a series of maybe three or four messages, I want to say, I was told to contact uh, core members to get support, which, which is actually fairly reasonable. Uh, I had no problem with that. Uh, at which point I then sent a single tweet uh, to Luke Dash Jr. And, and at which time then the issue was closed for spamming, which for me is very obviously has nothing to do with spam. It was just that that was, that was the way to not discuss the stigma and close the issue and prevent progress and uh, you know continue unabated. But like that's willful ignorance. So uh, again, I don't know that that was a very forward thinking maneuver. Yeah, it's scary to hear people at the uh, top level just would rather put their head in the sand instead of engage the community, especially when community members are trying to move the ball forward. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad because I, I know what a hot seat they're in and I, res I respect them all. Like, unlike Roger Veer, like, I respect every engineer at Bitcoin Core. And I, and I don't say that with any irony, that is 100% the case. Even the ones that reject me and stigmatize me. Absolutely, they do work and they should be commended for it. Um, but unfortunately, what, what I think that they are, are doing wrong is they are responding to intolerance rather than uh, being proactive. They, they seem to dismiss all of the academic literature on leadership and community management in lieu of, uh, I guess, the belief that this is as a rock going to go away. And I, I don't think that's what the literature would have us believe would happen. So there, there's, there's this sort of like not invented here syndrome going on, albeit with like knowledge and science and i think that they've bought into the decentralization mantra a little bit too much and then they've created a culture now where like you just can't talk about certain things because it would create some degree of uh you know intolerance or uh pushback and uh so so the management there is kind of sour 
I don't want to name names, you know, but what is what is the issue they had with you? Like, what were the points that you were trying to make that they uh, thought were? Well, that's the interesting thing. Like, I can submit the, the GitHub uh, URL if you'd like, and people can make up their own minds here. It's all public. Um, there was very little to no um, back on the nature of the commit. Uh, I think the final words were, we don't see a need to update this page. But if you go to like, so, but like what's, what's very, here, I'm going to, uh, okay, so like I, I was, I was accused of spamming and, uh, and that was how it ended. Uh, in between the conversation that went on was one that dismissed the need to update the Bitcoin Core website, which is very interesting because if you go to the Bitcoin Core website, um, it was submitted by BTC Drac. So apparently it was in their estimation in its ideal form at that time that it was submitted, which is kind of absurd. And if you just look at the site, it you know it kind of reeks of an older web page presence. And if you compare it to Bitcoin.com or, or Bitcoin.org, it's, it's paling in comparison. And there's some very basic community management things that Bitcoin Core should know at this point, uh, such as like the notion of the official. Um, if you download a binary in your mind now, the label on that binary is what's official. So if you download Bitcoin Core, you would then expect the official message to come from the Bitcoin Core leaders or Bitcoin Core website. And uh, and they don't see, they seem to dismiss that. They, they have this sort of like uh, template response. If you don't like it, you can start your own. And like, you know, I, I'll just join Monero, I guess. That's fine. Is that reasonable to you? Okay. Sounds good to us. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. I'm okay with that too. Like, like, you know what I have to say? Like, I benefit from not being, like, I have this like can't lose sort of thing that I, I feel like I, I, uh, I've structured and I would encourage others to as well. Um, for me, I've, I've hodled old Bitcoin UTXOs. I was never part of this, this group that uh, advocating selling off the forks. I was always like, you know what? This is Bitcoin. You hold things around here. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I uh, obviously have invested a lot more of my time and energy into Monero. And so I guess it would be, you know, to some degree, uh, unfortunate to see Bitcoin Core go by the wayside, but if another Bitcoin came and superseded it, I think I'd be fine. And uh, similarly, if if Bitcoin uh, underperformed and Monero overperformed, I think that would be fine too. And you know, maybe people should diversify across like the top ten. Uh, in fact, that is probably very reasonable, and we can discuss that. But um, you know, these people that have like the mother load in Bitcoin, it just doesn't that doesn't strike me as the most cogent plan these days. So these core guys, I mean, you, you talk to a lot of these core guys, I guess, right? So, I mean, is, is Monero ever being discussed? Is that something or it's... Monero's got... So Mon no, Monero's got a lot of respect and, and even inside Bitcoin Core. You know, I think, I think personally, uh, I, I'm not going to cite this if people want citations or anything like that, but I think personally that a lot of people inside the Bitcoin Core group, they like the prestige as well they should of working on the leading project. But if there were enough troubles, they would go elsewhere. And I think for a lot of them, they are very convinced that fungibility is the future of this space. And, uh, you know, we, we like, like, like we discussed earlier, Lightning Network supports some degree of fungibility for some people. So I think that the Bitcoin Core community members are probably of the mind that they will be with Bitcoin Core for as long as there's prestige in that camp. And if some, in some way that were to be lost, I think that they would be inclined to go towards something that offered a little more fungibility. As such, I think I think Monero has probably has probably succeeded in becoming like the number two project for a lot of these people. Um, not only because of like Ricardo's leadership being charismatic, but also because I think of the academic 
and computer science and sort of like reluctant leadership style of Monero. Um, the leadership of Ethereum, let's say, has been one of uh, confidence. You know, there's no problem too small. I can do anything. The future is infinite. And that doesn't usually speak to programmers. That's a little bit too extraordinary for most programmers. And in, in I think my experience and certainly in the, the Bitcoin camp. So I think that Monero's kind of done a really good job of speaking to the core audience. And it wouldn't surprise me if uh, we end up seeing migrations in, in some, you know, sort of uh, the catastrophic scenario. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw uh, migrations from Bitcoin core to Monero. Or I would, I, I would suppose maybe like a, a fungibility coin of their own initial design. And like, you know, we could, we could decide if that's a competitor or something at that point, but we shall see. Now about something like, uh, you know, regulation, if, you know, it's being talked about more and more, do you think, you know, if, if shit really hit the fan and uh, uh, governments tried to regulate Monero, um, do you think that would maybe rally some of these core guys or some of these, you know, uh, Monero core talking heads we were talking about? Yeah, you know, I mean... Or do you think they would be like, told you so? Well, I think a lot of the Monero... The, the limitations of Lo Monero's success thus far, and, and there aren't even that many, but like has been a justifiable perception that Monero's fungibility would make it a liability in regulatory uh, terms. Um, that being said, you know, I personally think it's a progression. Like we get our foot in the door and then we get the door open and then we get a little wider. And so for me, I think that the fungibility component here will will be farther out on that spectrum. And we'll see how, how wide we get the door open. Um, I don't know what we can really do other than uh, to create increasingly complex uh, Bitcoin routing instruments, which is probably going to happen. Um, you know, there, there's effectively a above board and a below board Bitcoin economy right now. And uh, there is, in fact, blacklisted addresses and blacklisted UTXOs, etc. And so it wouldn't surprise me if we start to figure that out on both sides. And it becomes a cat and mouse game. And then you end up with the above board Bitcoin economy, the below board Bitcoin economy, and all those spectrums turn into some degree of risk, some degree of product, and some degree of transferability in and out. So like, let's say you take an above board Bitcoin UTXO and you then swap it into Monero and then swap it back. Is it now below board or is it not? And like, that will be an equation somebody does to figure out a premium on, and then that'll end up flowing back into uh, the Bitcoin markets. And it may be that Coinbase only does uh, fully sanctioned whitelisted UTXOs fine but there will always be some degree of of spectrum between uh something that came right out of silk road and uh something that came right out of the u.s government's uh, auction i guess would be or you know like a coinbase utxo or something like that and and that's actually kind of cool from like a product standpoint because like it should be that somebody starts to quantify the risk of these utxos individually and uh i'd be very curious to see what that those numbers end up looking like but we'll see Kanzik, what do you think? I think that's a really good outlook on it. Do you, do you think we'll ever get to the point? We, we end up bringing this question up. It's a pretty loaded question. But do you think we'll ever get to the point that there will only be one cryptocurrency to really fulfill the majority of use cases we see now? No. I, so what's, what's evident to me, I didn't realize this. So we're all playing this game of chinesse in life. Um, I, I talked to Colin Odds a bit about this. But... Uh, the game of chess is a game that's exactly like chess, except that nobody knows the rules. 
That's the game of Chines. And we're all playing Chines in life. And you see Chines in, in all kinds of forms in blockchain. Um, because we don't know the rules, we then have to carve out specific risks in the market. And so I think that what will end up happening is that we will have stratifications of risk in the blockchain space. And there will be things like EOS, who, which, which may not even be a blockchain or Ripple, which, may, which probably is not certainly isn't a blockchain, um, that nonetheless have, have the blockchain paint on it. And that will be some level of risk. And we will see what happens there. Uh, what rules they break or not is up to the investor to decide. Uh, the same thing will happen with Bitcoin and Monero. And what I like about Monero is it's effectively exactly the same thing as Bitcoin, but with fungibility in, in most ways. So um, in a lot of senses, that may add additional risk. And in a lot of senses, that will remove risk. And I think that that's not going to be something we want to see merged with all of the other products, uh, both from the side of investors as well as the side of government. I, I think that if the governments want blockchain to work, and it seems like they do, then they're, they're going to also come up with a regulatory model that probably uh, requires these risks to separate out. You know, this, this gets into like a bigger discussion on the nature of regulation. When I was younger and when I got into the space, especially, I thought that regulation was like this very specific thing. And now that I've been in here for a while um, and I've seen a lot of things, I've come to the decision that number one, regulation is enforcement. This is something I say a lot, but that means two, that, that works in two different ways. It works in the sense that if something's on the books, it doesn't mean it'll get enforced. Um, like for example, marijuana law is real easy. Here in Florida, marijuana is illegal. But I can like take you outside my studio and there's probably somebody smoking a joint here on the beach and the cops walking by and doesn't care. So in, in that sense, I guess marijuana is totally legal because it's not enforced. Awesome. And then on the other side is these sort of decentralized regulations, which are really actually more interesting to me these days. Um, these are the things that society regulates, what you can say and do, what you can wear, how you can act. These laws are uh, very chinesque in the sense that nobody writes them down, but everybody kind of knows what they are. And if you deviate too much, you end up receiving some degree of social punishment, uh, the stigma effectively. Um, and, uh, and, and that's another form of regulation as enforcement. In that case, those are laws that aren't declared, but that are enforced by the general public. So it's kind of cool that we, we, I guess, live in this world and that uh, it trickles down into blockchain. Hmm. I mean, being being in crypto itself had a stigma, you know, for the first five years, if not more. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's interesting. So that was, if, that was a societal regulation, I would suggest, in yeah, the sense that yeah. money was sacred, and talking in the way we did was an act of blasphemy. We became a subject of disgust because we were blasphemers, and that was a social regulation wherein we were. Uh, effectively ostracized because right. of those regulations. But the the truth, I mean, eventually prevails, I guess not always, but it usually in science and things like science and math, it eventually does. It just takes time. Agreed. Um, which I think obviously has worked for Bitcoin and is now working for Monero. So do you see, so I guess I think I've heard you say, or you were even saying today, Monero is kind of maybe the number two right? Um, if, 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 if there's going to be more than one coin, maybe Bitcoin's number one, maybe Monero's number two. Uh, but at that point, if Monero's number two, why wouldn't it just be number one? Like, I mean, when I, when I, when you start to kind of do like the, the game theory on it, uh, why would it just be sitting at number two? Yeah. So, okay. That's a good question. So I think, okay, there's two things going on here. Number one, 
I think there's the question of how we should present to society. And I think what we should present is number two, even if internally we believe we're number one. Um, a good example of this is probably the dollar. The dollar presents as number two to God. And it is in the shadow of God that the dollar receives its authority. Now, to the degree that that's like reasonable or how that ends up in market cap terms, well, the, the numbers are pretty easy to do. But like it, it, you can see it fairly obvious on the dollar bill that it is in it is number two and it is in the shadow of a greater thing. And uh, I, I guess that worked for the dollar. And I, I don't know if like it's blasphemous to suggest that the honey badger is the god here, but like in, in, a, in a less blasphemous term, there is this proximity of uh, blessing of a greater thing or like the immaculate form that then achieves a level of success that exceeds any mass manifestation of the immaculate form. And, and I don't know if that'll apply here or not. I, I, I don't, but um, I'm very uh, sensitive, if not enthusiastic about the possibilities there. Nonetheless, I would choose to present as uh, pushing Bitcoin in first place. I think that that's probably wiser for us as a community. And if behind closed doors, we have an identity that doesn't match that, well, that's, that's how crypto politics works. Crypto politics. Wait, crypto politics is is just keeping your opinions to yourself, essentially. What the word? The word has like okay. So the word itself precedes Bitcoin, um, and this is just a happy coincidence, I think. But I, I embrace it. If you look up crypto politics on Wikipedia, it is the secret support for a political belief, and uh, there are I think what four. I'm looking at it now. There are four more specific forms of crypto politics, of which um, the ambiguity is high. So if I tell you crypto politics, you have to decide, am I of the crypto communist force, the crypto fascist force, uh, a synarchism, meaning rule by a secret elite, or am I part of the cryptocracy? And, and like that level of ambiguity, I think is a nice umbrella. And it happens to comport with the nomenclature we've already chosen. And uh, so I embrace it for those reasons, because I think that the ambiguity is, is probably more reasonable in this phase of blockchain that we're in that has basically exceeded uh, the original Tea Party-esque form of laying everything down on the surface for everybody that this thing started from. And uh, I promote so that. How does one uh, be a crypto... Uh, what's the term? Crypto... Crypto politician? Yeah, like what, what, what would you actively do then? You would well, tweet, so one, tweet one thing, but actually, uh, you know, you'd be tweeting, you'd be Bitcoin core on Twitter, but actually secretly buying Monero and supporting Monero? Like what would... Right. Yeah. So when I first came into Bitcoin, um, this, I'll preface this by saying this pains me to, to say, but this, this has become un unavoidable. So I just accept it and you will probably too. Um, when it came to crypto, I had this very like flat view of society, this like non-hierarchical view where we would just explain the things to the people and they would believe it and they would become part of our team and they would think like we do and then we'd all win and that would be the end, which is kind of like the Andreas Antonopoulos message, which is like, if we just all do this, then everyone will be good. Um, it's a little communist, like that's, but that aside, um, that isn't what I've seen. In fact, what I've seen has been that as we've gotten bigger, uh, we end up with this form of social class. Um, there is a degree of power that some of us have. We have that by way of social capital. We have that by way of knowledge. Um, for example, the contributors to Bitcoin core are of a higher social class than the guy who just showed up yesterday and bought. Uh, bought some Bitcoin on Coinbase. So like, that's reasonable that we would have class. Um, once you've taken that bridge, once you've jumped the bridge there and you've accepted the crypto class exists, then you have to decide, okay, if in fact there is a stratification of comprehension 
and uh, ability and power in the space, then it would be my obligation to find the level of class that I belong in and to coordinate with those class members for the benefit of our community. And in those terms, you then have to decide, well, who is our community? And if that if, if we've chosen a community that is our community, we have to then have some level of asymmetric information within even our own community. So like you see this with Bitcoin Core, um, there are things that they hold secret from the public. It's reasonable. It's in everyone's interest. Um, if, if you are of this mind where that is the case, then you now have the obligation to withhold some information from everybody and keep it for your group so that everybody can do better. And I think in my mind, that's what crypto politics is. So now you have to decide, okay, well, what is Chris's allegiance is? And I don't make that easy for people, but I also like, again, should be judged by my outcomes more so than anything else, because that seems to be where I think most people uh, can be safely gauged if they are on our team or not. And, and you will probably do the same. Like you, you are in this podcast, um, you have an audience to which you are more beholden than to perhaps the average Twitter person who might just be a, a raving lunatic. And so when you deal with a raving lunatic, you shouldn't present the secrets you hold with your community. You should probably just get the raving lunatic to kind of like, you know, do what's right for the community and ultimately himself. And that's okay. And sometimes that means you got to tell people like, I don't believe in Monero or I don't believe in Bitcoin. And so that they can perhaps go through the manifestations of like explaining to you this thing that you already believe. Uh, and then once they've explained it to you, now it's their idea. Now they'll promote it to the next round of people. And like, these are like basic things in society that I think uh, we need to understand if we're actually going to bootstrap like a real economy and a real political system here, which seems to be what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, what, one of my hopes with this show is that it kind of becomes uh, something that, you know, people that are on the fence, smart, independent thinkers, because I mean, it it takes a lot of balls to to start thinking maybe, uh, you know, maybe Bitcoin won't be the only only one, right? I mean, when you have, now it's becoming the mainstream thought and you have, like you said, all these in, intelligent people in the space, the old school people in the space, they're all telling you that this is it. Uh, it becomes difficult. Even if you, if you do your own analysis and you look at the facts and you say, wait a minute, uh, you know, if you read the, the original Bitcoin white paper and if you understand the purpose of crypto and censorship resistance and all these things we're talking about, and you add it all up, you're like, why wouldn't Monero also work or maybe even work better? Even if you have that thought, it's really hard to then overcome uh, and and stick your neck out and and go against the tide. So my hope is that this show would kind of is going to be not so much just for the people that are, you know, on Monero subreddit already, but the people that like come across it. Let me Google it. Let me check it out and then start to hear that, you know, they're not the only ones thinking along these lines. So. That's definitely one of the one of the goals. Yeah, I would encourage you guys absolutely to develop that. Um, yeah, I, I think that we have the chance in Monero to set our foot, put our foot down on the brand in ways that got out of control with Bitcoin, and uh, thus far it's going well. Uh, I, I know that, like, I think we got lucky in the sense that you, there was this sort of command line only client for as long as there was, which was probably seen as a eyesore or a you know a a stigma. Uh, by others, but I actually think put us in a really good spot of catering to a degree of specialist, specialists and high class or high power members at its uh, formative years in a way that perhaps like the Ethereum community did not 
and uh, who knows? I mean, Ethereum's obviously succeeded fairly well, but I, I, who knows how long it will in the scheme of things. And I don't know. Uh, I, this this speaks to me more in terms of a sustainable platform. Yeah, I think it kind of like self filtered it out in the in the early days, right? Uh, which wasn't even that long ago. I mean, even myself, I'm not a I'm not very technical. Uh, where I think we just lost Brian, but Brian was kind of my my tech, which allowed me to like hold my Monero safely, uh, you know, using the command line things like that. Um, so I, yeah, you know, it was it was hard to even tell people to get Monero or how to get Monero. I mean, even to this day, it's not nearly as easy as as some of these other coins. Um, but like you said, I think what that effectively did was it it filtered out. Um, Kind of the 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 wishy washy people that could just jump into any coin, um, and we really got the the high tech like computer science folks on our team on the early days. That's another thing too. I think one of the th- one of the most in- another I, I missed this earlier. Another great indicator for Monero has been the support from college students, which seems to be fairly high in the scheme of things. And while I think that there is interest in the Ethereum side, it wouldn't surprise me. If the college kids end up finding Monero to be the cool currency, uh, you know, I hate to be like that guy, but like it seems as if it is. And it wouldn't surprise me if that ends up being a major win uh, for our communities to secure that talent and that devotion. That's a genius idea, Doug. We're pivoting. From now on, we're doing college Monero talk. <laughs> Where'd you go, man? We lost I, you. Like everything, all the power went out for a second. My computer just started rebooting. So you just ran away. You just, rebought your Monero? Yeah, I did have to actually rebuy last night at all of it. <laughs> it was looking too good. But uh, yeah, I think we just blew my computer's mind. I don't know what the hell happened there. <laughs> what By do you way, think? Uh... Politics. That's a sphere I've never even heard of. So I'm going to have some reading to do tonight. I just saw the Wikipedia page before everything melted down. I like embracing things that have ambiguous meanings because... If, so, like, if you can speak to people, like, okay, so as you as you as you guys get more successful and as your pool gets bigger, what you're going to find is that you need to speak to like multiple people at the same time demographically. And there's going to be, you know, th- let's just take like a trope. You know, there's going to be like Billy Blue Collar, and then there's going to be like Walter White Collar, and then there's going to be, you know, uh, Anthony the Attorney. And and so like, if you take stuff that's like works at multiple levels, you can end up speaking to multiple people at the same time. It, it is true that you will have less specific meaning when you do that, but it is also true that you can convey a more general will. And I, th- I think that's the right thing to do as, as your demographics get bigger. I, I go back and forth on that and I, I go in and out of that mode depending on what the theme is. Um, a good example of that is uh, reification. I'm really big on reification right now. Uh, have you guys heard of this? No. Reification has, it's, maybe a lot of people are just already know about this, but this was kind of new to me. Um, I found it in the uh, psychological uh, readings uh, that I've been doing. Uh, psychology readings I've been doing, but it actually exists in statistics, linguistics, um, and a few other places, computer science. And so like we can talk about reification and depending on who's listening and what their specialization is, it'll mean roughly one of eight things at the same time, all of which are pretty related, which is to make something real, to bring something into being, or to make something concrete. And, uh, I like that because like it, it pulls from multiple disciplines. It pulls from multiple mindsets into the same unified goal. And I think that's how we march as a community. So I, I, I'm kind of, I'm pursuing that. Um, and we, we can talk about what reification is in, in many ways, but uh, 
I think it's it's kind of what it says, you know, it means getting it on the rule books in various ways, getting it taken seriously as perhaps any other real thing, which I think everyone wants. What What is your background in uh, in terms of, you know, where computer science? Uh, did you also study philosophy and like theology? I mean, what's uh Yeah, no, I'm um, I don't have any real background in the sense that there's a, like a credential or anything. I don't you know, I don't. I've never been good with credentials. I've always done them on a lark. Well, I mean, not credentials. Like, what have you studied? I mean, or other than crypto? Well, I was obsessive about computer science as a kid. And uh, I started learning to program at a young age. And uh, I started on an Apple II computer in basic uh, in the 80s, I want to say late 80s. Um, I then moved into assembly and C and then eventually into like some of the Microsoft stuff for a little bit, but really went right into Unix. Um, and, uh, like Perl, C++, Python, well, not really Python, Ruby later, PHP, that kind of stuff. Ruby. Yeah. Ruby was, was a, you can look at my, my, uh, GitHub repo and you can see some stuff that from back when I programmed, then I got into the Bitcoin thing and then I got into economics and finance and that kind of worked for a good while. And then, uh, I, I kind of, I, I go where the action is. So then as I, as I found that the economics and finance was, was increasingly irrelevant to the new people. Um, I started trying to figure out what the hell everybody's thinking in their heads. And then that quickly turns into psychology and philosophy. And uh, th- this has been very useful to me to understand what the hell has been going on uh, recently. So are so, you reading particular things or just Googling Wikipedia or there, are you like uh, deep diving? It's a combination. It depends on my mood. You know, I, I, I really like college lectures um, and I go through that. And then based on the college lecture, I'll usually take notes and then I'll go into wikipedia pages or uh, even books as uh the subject matter would be appropriate um but i find the college lectures are probably the best way to get a, a toe in the water on things like the, the i don't know why people don't watch them they're so easy you just put them on while you're doing stuff and uh you know you keep a notepad around and take notes um the there's a uh, like a yale i think it's the yale political philosophy course which which is like it's like 20 hours you know so i, I guess there's that but um if everybody in the space could watch that man that would set you so far apart from uh, the herd highly recommend it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I've been, yeah, I've been tweet out, to... tweet out that link. I would love to, uh, okay, I will. Yeah, check I will. That out. I'll look for it then. Um, yeah, you know. I think you're the first one that got me kind of thinking along the lines of Bitcoin as a religion, you know, of crypto as re- in terms of religions or other protocols like languages and things like that. It's definitely, uh, I mean, you know, the, the the technology was certainly a breakthrough, but it's like all the tech was already there. I mean, it, we solved the Byzantine generals problem. That was the breakthrough in terms of technology. But now that the tech exists, these iterations on it aren't really that complex. And it's really more of a social issue. And, you know, like the things you're saying, like uh, philosophical issue of, what what makes a community adopt something and adopt an abstract idea together because i mean the tech tech it's not it's not that complicated it's a shared ledger so it's just a matter of well which one are we all going to share it's always been a paranational movement and anybody who thinks otherwise is just wrong and like in the earliest days, we were, we were really dumb back then. Um, and the maximalists, unfortunately, haven't changed too much in some ways. But like we had this underpants gnomes vision of like step one, Bitcoin, step two, we don't know, step three, we we win. But like realistically, what what was it that we expected to happen in step two? And I don't I don't know that 
these people that will that are like continuing that that mantra are, are very disillusioned because like you you can't just expect that through Bitcoin belief everyone will agree with you individually, and the sort of entirety of the political philosophy space is concerned with step two, which is like how do we keep people happy in this new world? And what you will come to find is that not everybody thinks the same, and some of the reason why is cultural or ancestral and abilities and uh et cetera et cetera and so like they they won't just be like you and uh i think that i think that as this space matures that paranational component is going to be increasingly important uh i think that we're going to be as successful as we flesh that out and i don't think that we need to emulate what we have now in its entirety i'm not saying we have to make this the state but i do think that we have to come up with a lot more uh basic governance principles here and like like, okay, so like ideally, ideally what we end up with is a system whereby we can resolve disputes online, which is a big deal already, meaning like you put something into escrow and, uh, you know, like you, you complete the work and then it gets rewarded to you. And then you take it, if, if there's some issue, you take it to a jury maybe, or you take it to some arbitration and then they, they will decide whether or not to award you the amount or in part or in full. And like that would be an efficiency in all likelihood. Um, I think also once we have these types of social uh, interfaces in place, we can probably even start to tackle stable units of account. Don't forget, we've done it before. Uh, the United States was once decentralized. And I don't see why we can't emulate a lot of the outcomes we've come to expect uh, online, I'm sorry, offline, online. And for me, that's where I think a lot of the meat's going to end up happening. And then who knows? Like, ideally, ideally, it would be a case where maybe 50 years from now or something, we have these online systems functioning real well. Maybe what ends up happening is we have like a day we set up where, okay, your primary allegiance today is the United States. And then we hit a button at noon. Your primary allegiance is to, I don't know, Monero. And at that time, like the people who already had like functioning things just kind of switch into the news position. And now we have like this sort of peaceful uh, switch of power where we're, we're getting the thing that we, I think we came for. Like that's a bit fanciful and it's a bit, you know, out there, but it's not entirely insane to me. It seems like we can head towards there in part at the very least. Yeah, the, the analogy of, you know, Bitcoin to the internet, I don't think is really accurate. I'm, you know, I think at one point I was kind of buying into it. You know, that's the Bitcoin maximalism at its at its root. That's what it is, right? So uh, Bitcoin is the internet of money. But I mean, I th the internet's kind of a different animal. I mean, the, it's, it's, uh, there's no way we can have anything other than one internet, right? I mean, I can't even fathom a reality where there's more multiple internets. Uh, it's like having multiple realities. As long as we're all tapped into that one, we're all there. Whereas money, uh, as we see in the you know in the physical world, there's there's obviously multiple forms of money today. I mean, it would be more efficient if the entire world was already using one money. You didn't need the internet for that it was certainly possible that you could have everybody could have just been using you know the u.s dollar but that's not what happened or everybody's speaking one language so i see uh crypto is kind of more analogous to those things religion languages uh the current state of money i think you could make a case that we have two internets in the sense that there is tor and http and that perhaps the internet that is tor is separate from the internet that is HTTP. And while I fully understand that they both route on IP and I fully understand that level of nuance, 
it seems as if there is a demarcation between the fully anonymous web and the, uh, I, I guess, fully accounted web. So th that kind of might exist. Um, maybe. You That's know, like cool. Bitcoin has this. I, I whenever there's a new field, it seems the philosophy is what defines the terms of that field. I don't know that we've had a lot of new fields in recent years that has been accessible to as many people as blockchain has been. But I'm pretty sure that it's a new field. And so I understand how people come into it thinking that the the edges of the play field are, are going to be in, in a way that it's presented. But when whenever these things start off, like what the edges are don't always end up manifesting as what it ends up being. So I think we'll find that blockchain probably will take a lot from philosophy as it defines itself as a field. And it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being a, a field of some kind in computer science or economics or all three, or all, you know, philosophy, economics, computer science, something like that. Or governance, we'll see. You know, another thing too, it should be said is that like, okay, let's, let's say this matrix kind of world ends up happening where like a hundred years from now, we live most of our time in some kind of like machine and maybe it's, maybe it's like in a vat of goo or maybe it's, like, I don't know, something you plug into your eyeball and then you just kind of like live that life. I, I don't see why in that world we would give a crap about geography. And currently, all of our social networks are built around geography. But if we dematerialize ourselves in the future, then what would our worlds be revolved around? Because I think that they would be either revolving around some notion of ideology or religion or culture or language. And if that's the case, I can't imagine a better medium to conduct that existence than blockchain. I think that is exactly what blockchain is for. I think. That's that is fun. a deeper level than I think I've gotten to. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you're living it, man. You're gaming like eight hours a day. I know, right? I don't have blockchain yet, but... So, um... This was a really interesting talk. I actually can't wait to dive into this crypto politics sphere. See where I end up landing on that, because I have no idea which side I belong to on that. Well, one thing I would suggest while we're on the subject, I think I, I, I'm trying to push for this. I think this is reasonable. I encourage everybody to solicit feedback. I think we should probably consider some notion of uh, class in Monero. Um, the way that I've been exploring it in private channels is through rank, um, which is just, you know, fairly academic, I think, in its origination. But the idea would be that if somebody has rank in the community, they deserve respect. And it's very basic. You see this uh, throughout, you know, the, the physical world. It does not exist in Bitcoin. In Bitcoin, there's no concept of rank. So what ends up happening is miscreants will say things to core devs right. uh, that are just atrocious and not acceptable. But if in Monero, we have an understanding uh, that there is a, a notion of power that deserves and uh, commands a level of asymmetric authority, I think that that will make for a better community. And that, and that relates to crypto politics. So like it's, re it's for me, it's reasonable that Ricardo uh, or devs should be able to say one thing and do another because I believe that at the end of the day, their allegiance and their heart is in Monero. And I believe that because they've sacrificed for Monero. Now, I don't think we should name these ranks. I don't think we should have like Captain, Ensign, Lieutenant. But what I do think is that we should have a notion in the community that maybe devs are of a high rank, content creators are of a lesser rank, and then civilians are at the rank underneath that. And if a civilian tells a dev, uh, something, you know, nasty, we should tell them you are, you're guilty of insubordination. That is not acceptable behavior. And like, maybe you do nothing about it, or maybe you remove them from the channel or put them on timeout, but it becomes a notion of, uh, respect that I think would 
provide a greater degree of civility in our community. So you can decide if that's useful to you guys or not. But yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think I think it just works itself out uh, naturally. Um, obviously, you know, you're, I think I think you're thinking of it in terms of it would create more efficiency in the community. But I mean, this is these are the issues you have with decentralization and you know open source. Um, I think there's there's steps that can be taken. Uh, but I think it, it works itself out pretty well, right? Without you don't want to risk censoring anyone. There, well, there, um, Ricardo, I know, brought up a, a platform they all used to be on where you were given voice uh, and you couldn't speak or, or chime in until you somehow contributed to the community off that platform in other ways to where someone then granted you voice. Like, I'm vouching for this person. He's not some, you know, Twitter troll or nitwit. He actually can uh, help the community here, you know, and so... Right. So the tools we use then. Yeah, that's interesting. So we should be using maybe different tools other than everybody in a telegram chat. Well, it's, it's again, the notion of sacrifice. So like if you, if you are, one of the problems I have with, with most of the projects in the space is that they're de facto plutocracies in the sense that if you have the most inventory, you have the most say, but that's not generally how societies have run. Well, the way societies have run well is if you sacrifice the most, if you provide the most sweat equity, you, you have, uh, in an ordinary amount of say like, like there's a ratio and it's very difficult to quantify but that's largely the case so when i hear this and i'll, I'll you know you guys can decide the community can decide but I, it seems to me that the people who put sweat equity in uh are the, are the ones who have some degree of access in this system as opposed to just right some random hodler like i don't think if if, if you're you know born wealthy and you are able to buy a bunch of crypto i don't think that makes you competent i think that just makes you lucky and I'd rather take a bunch of college kids who are born poor, but are willing to put in, you know, two hours a day into coding. I'd rather solicit their input and make their voice more heard than, you know, some, some punk ass that just showed up because he bought some tokens and doesn't give a crap. So you Tons need Dash's governance model. <laughs> <laughs> Dash is a whole other subject. That's a whole other thing. But, you know, Brian. I have to say, like, I have to say, I'm not, I don't want to plug Dash. I think there's a lot of ridiculousness going on in there. But I don't, I, I can't look at that and say that they were entirely wrong. Like, just because Dash did something doesn't mean that we should strike it from our procedures. Not saying that that was a good project, but like, let other people's experiments provide fruit for us. And if oh, it works in this way, then we should consider it in this way. Right. I, I, I remember last summer when, you know, they were claiming their governance model would end the uh, gridlock that you see in Bitcoin and this will be the future. And, you know, a lot of people jumped on that wagon, but I, I think that kind of backfired, but proved to a lot of people that maybe the lack of control of the, the chain is the best form of governance. Yeah, I, I am a very conservative person. I'm not so conservative that I want to be a rock and do nothing, but I am a very conservative person. And I like Monero because I do think it is a very conservative project. Uh, but these are all thresholds. They're all balances, you know? Like, like these kids show up and they want to decentralize all the things. And then it's like, okay, but... Is there any balance whatsoever? And then their answer is no. And then before you know it, the illiterates are just as valuable as the specialists. And like, that doesn't seem reasonable. Uh, you know, there's nothing more decentralized than blowing yourself up into teeny little bits. And I don't think that that's reasonable. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds like there's tools that need to be uh, invented, created for that purpose. Brian, what was it that you were, you were talking about? With is you're saying that was something that existed? A, a, like a... During, um, during an interview was saying, you know, that... Uh, 
maybe we should a lot of the news is given out on Twitter and he's saying, you know, that's not the best way. And it, it aligns with what Chris was saying, where, you know, they had a platform where you had to be given voice to contribute to the discussion. You couldn't just come in and, and say whatever you wanted and have equal footing. It was hmm. certain people had higher reputation ranks. And so they were given more weight in the in the chat. It'd be a cool project. Cool thing to build. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I love Twitter, but I, I actually try to keep the Monero stuff off Twitter. I feel like Monero is about fungible and Bitcoin is about transparent. And so I, I like, for example, Ricardo and someone was bitching at Ricardo the other day on Twitter. And I, my answer to them was take, take it private, take it private. We, we all care about Monero. This is not a place for it. And yeah, I, I, even, saw, I saw that. Yeah. That was... Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, I even like the allegations that we are of a, uh, like a secret conspiracy in some degree. I think that's not even a terrible presentation because there's like a power to it um and it, there's also a, you know a notion of responsibility to community there so the other thing that i think would be kind of cool monero okay so like another route we could go i like the, the idea of almost uh, a unionization strategy wherein it is a uh perhaps a force of computer programmers in the professional world that are represented by monero and i don't know exactly what form that would look like and i don't want to uh, I don't want to promote it to, to an official degree, but to some unofficial degree, if they are part of the Monero force, uh, they they then perhaps receive some degree of shared representation. And I don't know if they, like dues would work in that model or what, uh, but it would be reasonable to me that you would have some like notional uh, representation on your uniform. Maybe it's a little M on the collar, or maybe you you know a little M like a little like sort of esoteric M somewhere or a hat. You know I don't know, but like that kind of stuff is kind of cool to me. And I think that that creates a brotherhood in a way that I don't I don't think I see in the today in, in the modern workforce that could end up working or maybe you know maybe not I don't know, but uh, I I like that kind of idea too that that notion of team seems reasonable. Very cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I just wanted to ask. I know where we've been running pretty long, but I guess I just wanted I to get going a little bit. I didn't want to interrupt because it's actually really interesting stuff. But, I'm having fun. Yeah. Awesome. Sure. Before um, before we break up, I would love to, if just even if just quickly, hear your thoughts on uh, Tari, just because I, I think you were a pretty big early counterparty person, and uh, my basic understanding of Tari is that it's kind of like counterparty for Monero. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am a big fan of everything I've heard this far. Um, I met with some of the principals in San Fran last month or so, and I liked everything that I heard at that time. And uh, I extended to them an invitation uh, to use me in any degree that I can promote it that's reasonable. And I like everything so so far. Um, I don't know. How would you explain it? Because I, I think a lot of people, including myself, uh, haven't fully grasped what Tari is or counterparty to that for that matter. Right. Well, to, to their credit, they're keeping a lot close to the vest currently. So I don't know to what degree I can broadcast information outside of what's been released. There's nothing so secretive uh, or, or, or even intriguing past, I think, what you've probably heard, which is that it will be an asset management platform in Monero. Now, I think that the idea is to merge mine currently, which is reasonable. And um, I think there's a lot to be worked out. It may just not come to fruition. Uh, that, that is a possibility. But it seems like it has the right team and it seems that it has the right attitude. And uh, they're putting it together right now. And they're working through a lot of this. So, like, I think it's premature. But you, you get the... And I don't think they really know either. You know, I think I think they're trying to figure out what the right way to do this is. But it's effectively what you've come to believe, which is that it is an asset management platform 
uh, secured through Monero and uh, primarily tied to the Monero uh, infrastructure. So, I mean, is Counterparty still alive? And are are there things that that Tari can do to learn from Counterparty's mistakes? Um, what do you? Th- Counterparty is still alive. It, you know, the thing I will say. So here's the thing about Counterparty that I particularly have always loved. Is, is I could say a lot about Counterparty. Um, Counterparty has been the most expensive blockchain asset management tool, which sounds like something you may not want. But what is really been its success has been the art market and uh, rare Pepe's and the like. Now maybe there's no value to that to, to most people, but in terms of like a per unit value, it would not surprise me if Counterparty is at the top of the list of uh, you know, token prices. Um, when you're when you're constructing Veblen goods in any capacity, you would want to use effectively gold and uh, whatever's the most expensive material to do that. That would probably create some degree of sanctity in your construction. So like if you could choose to use something cheap, like let's say Dogecoin or Bitcoin, most people would want the Bitcoin because they know that there's greater value there and there's more immutability and permanence and uh, faith, et cetera, et cetera. And when it comes to Tari, I don't know what that will mean for Tari or us. I think we need to probably decide what we want to target. Counterparty did not target the ICO market, and that was primarily my own uh, promotion. I don't feel bad about that decision. I'm very happy that I did that because my name was very attached to that, and I did not want that reputation, and I did not want that business. That being said, it worked out really, really well for uh, MasterCoin and, I guess, ultimately Ethereum. So the community is probably going to be divided on that, on what we want to do there. Um, I don't know what the Atari principles exactly have in mind, but I do think they want to offer a high volume offering. And there's nothing wrong with that uh, at all at this point. Um, I don't know that we should necessarily embrace the ICO market, but uh, I do think that we should probably embrace a common market for digital assets. I think if we get very lucky and we do things right, we can win the coveted game asset market. And I don't know what it'll take to do that other than probably a healthy marketing budget and uh, a lot of luck. But ultimately, that's where I like to see something like Tari work is with game assets. Um, I think that that's probably not scammy. I think it's a long-term play that is sustainable. I, I will. We will see what happens with Ethereum. It's, Ethereum wasn't doing all that hot up until Joe Lubin promoted uh, the IPO market to Silicon Valley and the IPO simulation began. Um, and so we'll see how well it fares after the IPO simulation ends. Uh, whether or not you know Monero wants to play that game is up in the air, but I, I would be inclined to think that it doesn't. You know, back in, I don't know if we, I think at the start of this, we talked about how the simulations work in this space. And like the, the digital gold simulation was what got a lot of us into Bitcoin. Um, it's evident to me that the progressive demographics entered the space in the IPO simulation. Uh, and I call them simulations because that's what they are. They're, they, you know, Bitcoin isn't actually gold. And these ICOs aren't actually IPOs. But what happens in, the, in the, the simulation sense is that people are given an interface with which to participate in the blockchain medium. They then know what the de-risked social positions are, and then they embrace and uh, engage in the play around that image. Um, I don't know what the next simulation will be or if there will be another simulation, but we've had a few of them. For me, they're kind of kind of hilarious and fun. And I, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting, getting uh, fooled by a simulation every now and then. It's happened to me. <laughs> big connect <laughs> big connect 
All right. Kunzi, got any uh, further Tari questions or anything? Or uh... you know what? No, I think it, what's on their roadmap? When should we have more news? In the next six months, maybe? Or is this a, a longer term project? We won't see really anything for a year or two. Have it's they... a longer term. It's a longer term project. They they are funded and they are making progress. I don't think that they have uh, anything to show past you know some code and basic uh, sketches. We'll see what happens. They've uh, they're moving uh, offices right now, and I think after the office move, they will be a little bit more prolific. Is the plan? So uh, they're they're kind of spooling up. You know, it's hard. It's hard. I don't. It's hard to tell. You know, especially in this space because there's there's so many contingencies. Um, but I think it's just an announcement of an intent to conduct this process, and that's really. You know, I've seen a lot. I don't know what I can say. There's again, nothing too salacious. Like I just know the people involved, and they're committed. And that's good. And uh, they were reasonable. And I, I very much appreciated the information I received from them. And I'm, I'm going to honor like the degree of, of secrecy there. And I understand why it's there. But it, it, it's, nothing, it's, nothing, it's nothing too crazy at this moment. It's mostly what you would expect. Um, an asset management platform with a primary allegiance to the Monero, Monero community and Monero technology for the intent of servicing it. There, there's a little bit more to it. And oh. uh, I have no doubt that they'll release that when the time is right. But it's... You know, something's going to knock your socks off. It's, it seems like it's just a reasonable infrastructure play, primarily. Very uh, crypto politic answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. I like though about Monero. You know, it's not he doesn't hype things up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's the news. Here you go. If you like it, buy Monero. If you don't, don't. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited. Like it, buy Monero. That's how yeah. he says it. Right. I, yeah. I just find it exciting that it's people working on a second layer, whatever, whatever that may be or mean. But it sounds like something that is part of the natural evolution of these blockchains. Yeah. Well. All right. A hell of an episode. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. All right. Cool. Glad. Glad you really, guys appreciate it. Yeah, it was really cool that you just jumped on with us like that. Uh, we'll do it again. Uh, really appreciate it. Maybe I'll awesome. get you guys on my show at some point. Let's keep in touch. I we'll love that. All right. all right, guys. All right. Thanks for having me on, and everyone who's watched. Uh, if you like what you had to say, I guess follow me on Twitter, DeRose. Get ready for a shitstorm. <laughs> <laughs> Peace out, party people. Thank you, guys. Talk to you.